This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. Hello, good morning, and you're very welcome to Talking Books with me, Susan Cahill. Well, this morning I've quite a thought-provoking show for you. One of Ireland's most popular writers and teachers, Deirdre Madden, talks to me about her new book, Time Present and Time Past, and discusses the complexities of memory, texting, and mother-daughter relationships. I think the whole issue of texting and, you know, the way people sort of reduce language, I think that has affected people. I'd say it's very hard in schools now that, that a lot of the kids sort of think that C-U-C and you is perfectly OK. And I'd say some of them hardly know that, that it is S-E-E-Y-O-U. And to try and break that mindset or challenge that mindset. I think already with computers, people are writing much more because in a way it's less physically demanding than it would be to write long. And writer Colm Tobin reflects upon the nature of prayer and faith in Irish society. You know, there's a beautiful phrase by T.S. Eliot, it's in The Four Quartets, where he talks about a place where prayer has been valid. In a way, Ireland is a place where prayer has been valid. So many prayers have been said in Ireland and so much of that has mattered to people. I think if you were treading on that, you tread softly or you tread seriously and you ask the reader to come with you. But it's not a devotional book, but at the same time, it's not a book that mocks anybody. So it's, it's, it's that funny space where maybe belief hasn't fully come into place yet. And um, I just wanted to offer a new perspective from a choosing voice. But first, Deirdre Madden's new book, Time Present and Time Past takes its title from the opening of T.S. Eliot's poem, Burnt Norton. It's an apparently simple novel about an ordinary Irish family in the years before the boom. The story centres on Fintan Buckley, a conventional, unimaginative 47-year-old legal advisor who lives in Hoth in County Dublin with his wife Colette and their three children. And as the novel progresses, Fintan begins to experience states of altered consciousness and auditory hallucinations forcing him to address some uncomfortable memories and traumas, not to mention disappointments, from his past. Well, I spent a lovely morning with Deirdre at the Oscar Wilde Centre for Irish Writing in Trinity College, Dublin. We started off with Burnt Norton. This is Deirdre Madden. I'm going to read the opening section of Burnt Norton, which is the first poem in T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, from which I've taken the title for my new novel. Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction, remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. Footfalls echo in the memory, down the passage which we did not take, towards the door we never opened, into the rose garden. My words echo thus in your mind. But to what purpose disturbing the dust on a bowl of rose leaves, I do not know. Glorious 
Deirdre, that was glorious. Thank you very much. It's a magnificent poem. I mean, it's it's uh, the the whole thing is just absolutely, absolutely tremendous. So, and it's it's something that I would, you know, over the years, this is a poem I would always go back to and and read very much. The ideas in it are very very close to my heart. I'm wondering, is a sense of time, memory, and place very important to you as a writer, and also in the narratives that you choose to write about? Yes, very much so. I mean, I think memory is very important for for most writers and I see this book as an exploration of the whole idea of time, which is a very big and a very complex subject, but it's framed as a story about a family living in Hoth over a few months and I hope that it can be read on two levels. I mean, it can be read as a simple family story, but also I suppose there are maybe more as if sort of philosophic exploration of how time works, how we experience it what it does to us, how we live, how we live through it, what it means. And my hope is that, that this family story can be enjoyed on one level and that if people don't engage with the sort of bigger thing, they'll still they'll still enjoy it. And what's interesting is there are big philosophical questions of sense of place in the book, hidden under what I would describe as maybe a very low-key narrative. How difficult is it to write in a more understated way? You know, we don't have any major huge actions, huge dramas. You know, they're quite... The, the family are quite an ordinary family. There's uh, no tremendous emotional outbursts. It all ebbs and flows. So how difficult is that to do as a writer and to keep the reader engaged? Um, I think it is quite difficult. Um, it is it is something that interests me very much, and I was trying to consciously keep it, as you say, in that that low key way. I think it can be uh, more. It, it's it's harder to maybe to write about happy people as well. I think that's one of the the unusual things things about the book that the, the family in it is, by and large, a very happy, contented family who get on well well with each other. And uh, to try and do that was and and yet still keep people interested. Is 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 a challenge. I think people read books for lots of different reasons and one of the reasons people read them is sometimes just for the engagement with the language and my hope would be that the the way the story is told is, is, is attractive to the reader rather than sort of lots of action and page turning and which can be another reason why people why people read a book merely for the story itself. And if I could talk to you a little bit more about your use of language and the whole craft of the writing process. You said that um, Writing is much more of an artisan activity than an intellectual activity. It's a very messy, ungainly, unwieldy process. It's more like weaving a very big rook. Uh, yes, I, I, I very strongly believe that the, 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 the quote you've, 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 just, you've just read out. I feel when you're writing a book, you're, for me it's not so much an intellectual activity as that you're making an object. And in the same way as if you were making a pot or weaving a rug or something like that, you would be trying to see that you would have an idea in your mind of what it should look like when it's finished. And even though that might change as you worked on it, you should be very satisfied with the end result and everything should hold together and it should be harmonious, it should be what it's supposed to be. And I think that that's a very similar thing. And language is is, is what you're using to to do that. And um, you're also trying to give people like visual images so that when you talk about things like clothes or food or buildings or people, that they should see them. In a way, it's good if they can see them without being too aware of the language. I think that's always very nice when it's almost an unmediated thing. You're just giving them the pictures through the the words. So there's a lot of labour involved then, you know, the kind of romantic notion 
generations of writers in their rooms, you know, spontaneously coming up and dreaming up these fantastic characters and, you know, using beautiful natural literary devices that they can just jimmy up in a second. That not necessarily is that what happens for you or for many writers in general. Oh, I think for most for most writers, it's a question not just of writing, but of rewriting, and you go over it again and again and again. And you're maybe trying to make it clearer and simpler, and the, the trick is that it looks as if you've just sat down and written it, but it's rarely the case that that, and I don't think that's true just for me. I think that, you know, it should be the art that conceals art. It should look much, you should make it look simple, but it's... As I said, there's so much rewriting and just to just to working down to try, refining to try and get exactly what you want. Now, Talking Books is interviewing you from the very atmospheric Oscar Wilde Centre here in Dublin, and it's a glorious old building, and there's beautiful pictures around it lovely library and there's a real feeling of I suppose creativity here. You teach creative writing to uh, postgraduate students here in Trinity and I'm wondering does that by definition make you very self-critical of your own work and how hard are you to yourself as a writer? I'm very hard myself but I think I always was even before I started teaching creative writing and I think it's something you just need to be. If you're not hard on yourself the work won't be good and then when you publish it everybody else will be hard on you so it's best to get it to get it right from the from, from the get-go. And of course we're surrounded here with wonderful pictures of Brendan Kennelly, of Beckett, of obviously Oscar Wilde mm. and some other literary giants from Ireland and abroad. Mm. Tell me how much do you learn from your students? I don't know um, about that. I think just it's more even on a human level, I would say, is the main thing. We get students, although it's postgraduate course, you get people from all walks of life and people who have extraordinary life experience and have done all sorts of things. And I think as a writer, you're interested in everybody and everybody's life is interesting and different. So on a human level, and I think teaching is an extremely human activity, and so I feel that um, that, that would be the main thing. Thing. Uh, sometimes the students would, would be doing things that would be very unlike what I what I do. It's funny, it's hard to explain. There is a crossover, but a thing that people sometimes think is that you're trying to teach them to write like you, and that's absolutely not what you're doing. You're trying to get them to be the writer that they're supposed to be, and you're trying to teach them a certain amount of craft as well, like how to make convincing dialogue and characters and whatever. But the characters and dialogue and settings they'll come up with maybe late years removed and their attitudes and everything might be completely different for you but you can still do a lot and teach them a lot even though it's very different but you're absolutely not trying to fit them into any mould at an early stage I think people often don't know what sort of writer they are and it's maybe bringing that out and trying to focus on that. So it's an issue of identity of about having an authentic voice and being able to embrace the real story within. Yes it's a question as if being being who you are and being true maybe to your own experiences and your own ideas is and being the writer that you are supposed to be. I mean, part of that might even be finding the genre you want to work in. I mean, sometimes we have people here who write both poetry and prose, and they might then decide when they're here that they're actually are much better, or they might arrive thinking that they're writing poetry and then change and from being exposed maybe to working with other prose writers so it's it's finding what you're supposed to be doing and it can take a very long time you know sort of whittle that whittle that down and I think all the work we do here can sort of open that up and uh, it's a good laboratory for 
sort of like a safe space for exploring that sort of thing. Can we talk about some of the big characters in your book? Finton is a mm-hmm. 47-year-old middle-class lawyer. You know, he's a very good relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. He adores his children. He mm-hmm. gets on with his job. But there's a sense in him that he's he's not very certain in some ways of his footing, of where he mm-hmm. is, of who he is, what his identity is. And he's definitely in a, in a point of transition or maybe transformation. How important is it to write about these themes of transformation for you? And how much of that were you doing in terms of commenting on maybe an Irish society and where we are today and what we've been through? Well, now, that's a very big, complicated question. I'll have to sort of break it down into elements. Um, I think, as you said, like, Finton is a very, um, he's a low-key sort of ordinary guy, but I think if he wasn't having a crisis of some sort, he'd be, you know, there there really wouldn't be a story. There always has to be some element, and in spite of what I said earlier about being quite quiet and low-key and not, you know, this isn't a book that you would read mainly for the story. There has to be some tension within a narrative or there has to be some sort of what if or some why. Why is he having these experiences? Why is he puzzled and bothered in himself? And so that is that is one of the sort of like the grain of sand that you hope the pearl will be will be sort of built around. Um, so that that's where I see him coming coming from. It is set during the you know so-called Celtic Tiger period. I didn't feel at all when I was writing it. I wanted it to be a Celtic Tiger novel. I think if I wanted that, I would have upped the ante far mm. more. I would. I, I gave him a job which was like a business person, so he's quite bourgeois, but he's not a banker. Or he's not. He's mm. not sort of at the eye of the storm. But you suddenly have meeting Seabass uh, going for coffees you know spending money and enjoying life all the same um yes but i think that's what even people who weren't and i and i suspect even like there's there's still a certain amount of that at a certain level in fact quite a lot of that going on like people are still going to restaurants people are going out i i do understand that it is it is it does show that that time which was before before the crash and his life in due course will be affected by by what happens but this brings us back i think to the element of the whole the whole idea of time and i think i wanted to explore this story it was using a very specific moment but trying to put it in a much much bigger time frame like going right back into his childhood thinking about the future and as i say like that sort of philosophic idea of time being much bigger than Eight years ago, we had lots of money. Now the country is on the ropes. You know, it's. Uh, I wasn't trying to write something that got the absolute spirit of the age, but it was set at a particular time. And I think what I was going for, if I could put it this way, is something more like the confluence of this moment um, between what is happening, the historical moment of what is happening right now, politically, socially, economically, and this much bigger, bigger sense of, of time in which, in which the other moment is embedded, if you see what I mean. And if we could look at some of the other interesting characters in the book, there's a, there's a mother, mm-hmm. Joan, which is mm-hmm. Fenton's mother. She's an amazingly intriguing character. She's not the nicest of characters, but you can understand from, again, from her past and what she's grappled mm-hmm. with, why, why she is the woman she is today. Could I get you to read from time present, time past, Deirdre? Enough of that, Joan says dismissively. Tell me this now, Fenton. How are you? She is sitting opposite him, and she stares directly into his eyes as she asks this question. What does Joan see when she looks at her only son? Someone who is not quite a failure, but not quite a success either. 
Given who and what he is, together with what he has done and achieved in his life, one can only wonder at the criteria which she is applying. But Finton is aware of her judgment as of yore and wilts under it. I'm good, he says, unconvincingly. And that wonderful wife of yours? There is no irony in this question. Although Joan thinks he could have done better, much better, on the employment front, and perhaps have raised a second son less weedy than Nile, she has no reservations about his choice of a wife. Over the years, she has grown to be very fond indeed of Colette. This is a testament in itself to Colette's extraordinary qualities, although even she had failed to make a good initial impression on her future mother-in-law, the first words Joan had ever spoken to her when Finton impulsively brought her to Joan's door on a rainy day, having been, wipe your feet. Wipe your feet, Deirdre. That's incredibly powerful. I laughed and screamed, horrified for her, but it was intensely amusing all the same. What's interesting is that you've contrasted a very sharp, aggressive figure with her daughter-in-law, Colette, who's a very homely, compassionate, warm, soothing type of character. Clearly this was deliberate. Um, yes, I th- although I think the more interesting contrast is between um, Joan and her own daughter, Martina, because they don't get on with each other at all, but I actually think that they're quite similar in, in many ways. And uh, someone said something to me about Joan, which quite, quite surprised me. Uh, they said they found her a very tragic figure, and I hadn't considered it in that way but I can see where this person was was coming from I think there's something very sad about her life she's she has very little self-awareness and she doesn't really see how even the rest of the family see her um and she is as you say like a very a very a very strong character but it's often the case that people we we often dislike in other people the qualities that we have in ourselves and I think that's an element in 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 their relationship Uh, And it's an element in a lot of mother and daughter relationships, that tension. Mm, Yes, yes. And possibly, possibly for that reason that people are more like their mothers than they, than they like to think or admit or, and they don't recognize things. Or maybe that mothers are seeing in their daughters things that they, the way they were when they were 20, for example, and they're now older and they've changed into something else and they're reacting against their sort of former selves. Can I ask you, in terms of women's fiction today, mm-hmm. what are you reading and what do you think uh, women should be writing about? Oh, I think women should be writing about whatever they want to write about. I, w- I certainly wouldn't bracket it and I think you just have to look at the at the women's fiction that is out there. Like there's so, there's, there's such a wide range, anything and everything people, you know, women, women write about. You know, so that's... Uh, I think that's a, a given. I'm interested to know, Deirdre, you know, you teach creative writing. By doing that, you must have read a wide variety of types of books and genres and so on. I'm wondering, do, do, do you read what you write in terms of would you buy similar types of books or would you go very left to centre? Well, I've just finished a really, a really good book. It's by Barry Casson, the actor and uh, theatrical director, and it's called I Never Had a Proper Job. It's very much about his life in, in the theatre, and I enjoyed it enormously. I thought it was a really excellent memoir. He comes across as a very humble, modest sort of person, um, and he manages to be, manages to be both 
both very emotionally honest and yet quite reserved and so, like it's not a sort of gossipy book at all um, but yet there's lots in it that's incredibly interesting about people he knew and his whole his whole life there I'm very interested in the theatre my last novel Molly Fox's mm. birthday was very much about the theatre and I'm still very much interested in that but I read I read very widely I mean I read I read contemporary fiction and um, I, I, I sometimes because of the work in college I don't have as much time to read as I would have before and you sort of keep getting interrupted so so if you want to read like a very very long deep book to try and find the headspace for that it's more maybe in the summer so that is one thing I regret I regret a bit at the moment but again I like rereading books things that I would have would have read for and your students are now um, learning their craft at a very high time in Irish fiction you know we've got lots of very successful writers winning lots of high profile awards but where do you see the future of publishing and certainly of um, you know of fiction maybe 20 years time do you think we'll still be reading books or 